Yeah. I'm still going, even though yeah, Grim right now, Grim. Roll out. <clears throat> roll out. Hello, fellow game explorers. With thousands of games being produced every year, it can be a daunting task finding a great game to play with your friends. So we hunt down three board games every week to let you know whether or not they should be dug up and put on your shelf or stay buried. I'm your host, Celeste DeAngelis, and I am here with my old gaming buddies, Ed Povolitis, Joe Unfried, and Mike Grinier. What's up? Hello. Hi, everybody. Time to play. Yeah. Let's get started. First up this week, we find out if we're going to need a bigger boat in the game based on the classic movie, Jaws. Next up, forget about trash can hopping. Instead, we invest, build, and trade commodities in Raccoon Tycoon. And lastly, we grab stakes any way we can as we go for the gold in Claim It. Hey, that's my claim. (laughs) Guys, we've been flooding social media, especially YouTube right now with a bunch of our new videos. And of course, we'll keep bringing the new popular games And some weird, obscure, ancient ones, too. (laughs) Uh, Just click on subscribe and ring the notification bell to stay up to date on our latest adventure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys, and thanks for watching. (laughs) Let's talk about the board game Jaws. Designed by Prospero Hall, published by Ravensburger in 2019, number of players 2 to 4, ages 12 and up, playtime 60 minutes. Okay, Mike, tell us what's in the box. (laughs) The cover of the box brings terror and nostalgia flooding back when you see the classic movie poster of an unsuspecting swimmer about to be swallowed whole as Jaws, poised to strike from below, stares menacingly up at him. When you dive into the box, you'll find a double-sided game board, a shark mover, two boat movers, three crew movers, 70 cards including shark abilities, resurface cards, gear, and amity events. There are also three dice, a shark tracker pad, four character boards, four board clips, eight boat tiles, and 40 tokens. And that's what's in the box. Well, before we tell you if this game is worth the price of admission, Joe, Tell us how it's played. The board game Jaws is based on the classic movie. One player menaces the island of Amity as the three-ton great white shark, while the other players go on the hunt as Brody, Hooper, and Quint. There are two phases of gameplay. In Act 1 on Amity Island, the shark prowls secretly through the waters around the island, attacking swimmers and avoiding capture. Meanwhile, the other players try to pinpoint the shark's location while saving the tourists. Get out of the water! Get out of the water! (laughs) Act 2 is called The Orca, the name of the boat named after the nemesis of the great white shark. Experience the climactic battle aboard the slowly sinking Orca. Brody, Hooper, and Quint are all aboard and are all well-armed but they don't know where the Great White will strike next. If you're playing one of the human roles, you can plan and strategize all you want in advance, but you can't reliably foresee what your nemesis will do next. Brody, Quint, and Hooper cover as much area as they can separately, but in the end, they must join forces to slay their common enemy. 
Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, and dun, their dun, common dun, enemy dun. this time was me because <laughs> I played the shark and uh, Joe and Ed played the crew mm-hmm. and <laughs> and uh, it was it was a lot of fun playing the shark. And I have to say you all did a great job with that with your respective roles. I didn't see anything that looked like a tactical blunder, even a small one. Oh, I thought you were talking about our performance roles. I I worked very oh. hard. to get motivated as the shark yeah (laughs) well we got to play this game at home which was really nice this was the first game we have played at home since quarantine uh Mm. with our gaming group outside of the family Mm, you guys did well you you had to get out of the train to get up here yeah i was trapped in new york city i couldn't come join them i know we missed you mikey (laughs) missed you guys too it was great. I ate plenty of swimmers. Nom, 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 nom. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of swimmers. This game is interesting in how it is separated into acts. Mm-hmm. There's a, act one, which is on one side of the board, and act two, which is on another. And each act is like a separate game in a way. Because totally, you, know, you make a new board, you get a new set of abilities, and what you're trying to do is essentially different. You like sweep everything off the board that you're just using, flip it over and just kind of redistribute all the stuff. Well, different stuff. Oh, new stuff. Oh, (laughs) fun. Yeah. So the first act plays a lot like a mystery game, like Scotland Yard. Uh, I don't know if anybody's played that one, but it's like you, one person plays a spy and then the rest are spy hunters. And the same thing here. One person plays the shark. It's swimming around all the waters looking for yummy swimmers around the island. And the rest of our crew members are like, hey, there used to be a swimmer over there. What happened? We better check that area out for sharks. (laughs) That's how you track down where the shark's been by the missing swimmers. Uh, that's one of the ways, because uh, uh-huh. uh-huh. there's only certain information that the uh, the shark player has to tell us each turn. Mm-hmm. How many swimmers got eaten and where, and whether or not they uh, tripped off any motion sensors we put there. Oh, yeah. Right, and whether or not I, uh, the shark used power-ups. So the shark gets four power-ups throughout the game, and it's things like, burst of speed which allows you to rush to move more than the normal amount of spaces Mm -hmm. uh feeding frenzy which allows you to eat more than one swimmer (laughs) stuff like that you you circle them in your tracker just to make sure you're not overusing them because you can only use them each once right oh my god sharks do not need special abilities that's pretty terrifying act one sort of plays out like a an old yakov smirnoff joke you know, it's like in Act One, you hunt shark. <laughs> in Act Two, shark. Shark hunt you. Yeah, it, it is pretty much. Yeah, we hunt shark in the first act, and then the, the shark said, "Oh, you found me. Now I'm hunting you." It's more challenging for the crew members in Act One, and more challenging for the shark in Act Two. And the better you do as the shark in Act One, the easier it's going to be for you to win in Act Two. Mm. That reminds me of Battlestar Galactica a little bit, actually, where you kind of don't know if you're going to be the Cylon, so you sandbag a little because once that extra reveal comes, whatever state you're in can determine the rest of the game. Yeah, but there's no there's no hitting here. There's like <laughs> no. One person's a shark the whole time. You, you <laughs> right. don't need a sandbag at all. You just eat as many swimmers as you can possibly can, <laughs> and our job is to find that shark before every swimmer is a shark buffet. The more swimmers the shark eats, the less gear the crew get to right. defend against you when the boat, when you flip it over and play on the boat uh-huh. in the deep sea. Yeah. 
because people don't trust your shark hunting abilities because of so many people getting eaten. They're like, mm. eh, I'm not going to help them. Let's just <laughs> let them float out. Yeah, I wonder what the rationale is for that. <laughs> well, it, it basically means they had less time to prepare. You're so busy trying to rescue swimmers and sailing <laughs> that you didn't have enough time to load the boat up with the stuff you need to kill the shark. But I feel like if you were failing, then you just were not you were ignoring the swimmers, and you had plenty of extra time. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of which, uh-huh. if you, there's only two people playing the crew, then there's three crew members, right? Mm-hmm. Quint, Brody, and what's the third one? Hooper. 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 So the three crew members are played by the two players. <laughs> they sort of share the third guy. And yep. what did you guys think of the spread of characters throughout this game? I mean, I think it's bad with three players playing a crew or four-player game, one being Jaws and the other three playing the crew. So this way mm-hmm. it's off, but up. And mm-hmm. each crew member has a different thing they get to do. So there's something cool about each crew member that the others can't do. Yeah, like I, who was the guy that had to move all of the... Um... The barrels? Yeah, yeah, he had to move the shark barrels from inland to the beaches. Sheriff Brody got that. Brody is on land the whole time. During the first act, and he has to go around, and uh, he can either look at the binoculars, look for a uh, uh, shark. He can try to close the beach down, which no one else can do. Or he can go to the equipment shop and try to get barrels out to the other uh, players who are out on the water trying to find the shark. So how did you think the teamwork played in this? Do you think everybody was complimentary? I think they were. First, I mean, Brody is the one who got a patrol car and driving around the island. Uh, and mm-hmm. he can, you know, and he can shut beaches down. So, you know, the, you know, the other two can't do that. And who was out on the boat? Hooper and Quint. Yeah, they both had little boats, right? Yes. Well, one had the orca, the other one had like a jet. And this game comes with a little boat and a meeple to go that fits onto oh, the boat. Oh, that's cute. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, Hooper was more of a ichthyologist an oceanographer uh, and he was more into the scientific end of things but Quint was about taking people out there onto fishing trips in their fighting chairs and making as much money as he could. So they sort of had a different skill set. Yeah, very different skill set. Right. And I think that played out very authentically in the game. I think that the game's split of skills worked out really well. I was worried as the shark all the time in the first act. They had a lot of little tools at their disposal for spotting the shark. And once the shark gets tagged twice with barrels, it's act two. No matter how many swimmers you've gotten, you're at act two. So eat, eat, eat as the shark as quickly as you can (laughs) first act. And Brody is kind of uh, a buffoon, but he has he has access to firearms. Oh, that's handy. (laughs) Oh, man. And that hurt in act two, boy. Mm. Those firearms are no joke. You don't think about the shark being scared when you watch the movie. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think the shark was, but I suspect the shark player might get a little anxious. Exactly. Well, let me ask you this, though. Did it did it follow the the dramatic feeling that the movie had? Like, did everybody feel like the tension and stuff when they were playing it? I say it was there. Yeah. Yeah, when Celeste had eaten seven swimmers, and I'm like, <laughs> come on, we gotta get the check. Come on, you're <laughs> killing people. They're all gonna be dead. I thought I was in really good shape. Like, the most swimmers you can get are nine or something, and I had mm-hmm. seven, so I was like, ah, this is gonna be a piece of cake when we flip over the board. <laughs> no, it was still an uphill battle for the shark. Seven swimmers is formidable. I didn't, I didn't think it could be done. I thought these guys were toast. 
yeah. I think we got lucky in two respects. One, uh, Joe was hot rolling those dice. Because you get dice to see how much damage you do. And there's like zero, ones, and twos on it. And Joe rolled like double twos, double twos. And I'm like, yeah. Painful. And that was really painful. And we only have limited ammo. It's like, yeah, we got a gun that we can... No, oh, no matter from somewhere in a boat, you can target far away and shoot. Because that's what you want to do. You want to shoot the shark, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. No, hand-to-hand combat with a shark. Right, but <laughs> you run out of ammo. And we got lucky in the second respect that we got three ammo cards out of our limited five extra cards. So oh, it's like, wow. yeah, I think we got really lucky with the ammo. Because otherwise, yeah. we used the gun once. You toss it away, and now you got to pick up a baseball bat and try to go, yeah, shark, I got a bat here. Oh. Yeah. You don't blow them up with, like, an explosive, though? It, there's not, like, in the movie, you don't get that, uh, I'm what sure is it, that gear exists that we did not get the air tank. Uh-huh. There, there is a canister where you, th- you throw it down the shark's throat, and then, mm-hmm. like, later on, if you hit it with a firearm, the shark will explode or something oh. like that. <laughs> but we didn't get that gear. Oh, okay. right. But on the flip side, the shark has to destroy the whole boat, which is separated into six pieces. Oh, wow. So you've got to, and it's not easy. You keep, It's not like one ramming hit with the shark is going to destroy any one spot. So it's hard mm. to get that whole boat destroyed before three guys, you know, <laughs> kill you. They're one shark. I'm they not, have I, guns. I don't feel bad for Jaws, so stop trying to make me feel <laughs> sympathy for him. <laughs> well, it is hard for the shark to destroy pieces of the boat, but if two or three of the characters are bunched up together and the shark destroys that part of the boat, then all three of them are in the water. Oh, wow. We're all swimming. And then it's like, and then it's, ah, uh, nom, 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 nom. She doesn't have to destroy the boat. She could just eat us, and she'd win then. I think the shark might prefer to have eaten us. Oh, uh, heck yeah. Well, we try to stay out of the water like smart people. Yeah. <laughs> Why'd you go in that tiny boat then in the first place? That's what yeah. I'm saying. We needed a bigger boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it actually made you say the phrase from the movie. So that's a good, yeah. that's a good point for the game. In fact, it sent Joe down like a whole rabbit hole about the history of the movie. Right, Joe? You know a thing about a shark. He's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eyes. This quote is from the character of Quint, played by Robert Shaw. In the film, he describes Quint's time on the USS Indianapolis. In July 1945, this heavy cruiser made a top-secret trip to deliver certain weapon parts that would ultimately be part of Little Boy, the first nuclear weapon ever used in combat. On July 30th, 15 minutes after midnight, she was struck by two torpedoes, sinking in only 12 minutes. Out of about 1,200 crew, 300 went down with the ship. No one knew she had sunk until survivors were spotted by routine patrol flights three and a half days later. All survivors suffered from hunger, living on crackers and spam from the ship's debris. Dehydration from the sun, hypothermia at night, and relentless shark attacks round the clock took a horrifying toll. Of the 900 seamen set adrift, only 316 survived. Since many details about this ship and its fate were unknown to the general public in 1945, 
Steven Spielberg's movie Jaws, released 30 years later, brought the Indianapolis and its sinking into a much wider public spotlight for the first time for many Americans. You can catch YouTube clips, including this scene, running from four to eight minutes or so, which begins with Quint and Hooper below decks at night on the Orca. It starts with them comparing their scars from past maritime <laughs> adventures. I remember that scene. These three guys drinking on the boat is the only scene in the movie where you actually get to forget about the great white shark for a few minutes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Quint's monologue about the sharks was the most chilling scene in the entire film because our imagination mm. fills in all the horrifying blanks of Quinn's story. Yeah. Nom nom. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Bring the mood back up. That was that creeped me out. <laughs> I, I gotta say that this this game has been more faithful to a movie that it's based on than any other game. I liked it a lot and it totally reminded me of the movie. Yeah. Well it could have been a, a math market game. The quality of the stuff in here is pretty good. Yeah. The the meeples are high quality. They're lovely, smooth wood. The board is beautiful to look at on both sides. And an actual game to play. <laughs> look at that. I love that little counter that says beach closed. Opening soon. I love the shark tracker pad. It was my all-time favorite. It was so retro oh, in its man. feel. It was like this little black and white map and this little <laughs> chart on the bottom. It was really, really retro. I felt... Like I was back in the 70s. It was like an oscilloscope, yeah. All right, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Jaws. Ed? I'm rather skeptical of a game based on a movie. Not a great track record there. <laughs> but this one surprised me. It offers a really nice dynamic of kind of a cat and mouse kind of, and it really promotes teamwork. The players that are the crew need to work together and solve the puzzle of finding and then killing the shark. So I'll dig this one up for another day on the beach. <laughs> Joe? The game is cleverly designed so that multiple events play out just like the 1975 movie and the book from the previous year, which launched the meteoric rise of Steven Spielberg. Watching the shark eat the fishing boat piece by yummy piece is very fun, <laughs> no matter which side you're on. Well, I loved the look and feel of this game. It was enchanting. It drew me in. It was a lot of fun to play. Very representative of the movie. Dig it up. So it sounds like they did a really good job making this movie into like a game. They, they actually translated some of the feeling of it. But I want to know from you guys, what movies do you think should be made into a game? We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. See you there. Let's talk about the board game Raccoon Tycoon. Designed by Glenn Drover, published by Forbidden Games. Number of players, 2 to 5, ages 8 and up. Playtime, 60 to 90 minutes. Okay, Mikey, tell us what's in the box. All right. The cover of this box features a dapper raccoon standing proudly atop the rolling hills with a modest town of farms and factories behind him. Inside, there's a game board, six sets of 30 commodities including wheat, wood, coal, iron, luxuries, and manufactured goods. 
There's also a starting player token that looks like a tiny little raccoon, six commodities bonus building tiles, 21 advanced building tiles, 24 railroad cars, 16 town cards, 54 price and production cards, and a fat stack of money ranging from $1 to 100 And that's what's in the box. There is a lot of stuff in that box. <laughs> Sounds loaded, yeah. But before we tell you if this game is worth cashing in stocks to buy, Joe, tell us how it's played. In Raccoon Tycoon, players try to produce the most valuable commodities in an ever-changing marketplace. They then use those commodities to build towns or sell them at the best price to secure great profits that can be used to win auctions for the all-important railroads. The profits may also be used to buy powerful buildings that give the players power-ups or bonuses to production. Owning the best towns and railroads leads to victory. Yeah. This is great if you like games centered around erecting buildings or fostering your investments. I like building stuff. I don't know if it felt that much like building stuff. I don't know. It felt more like buying stuff than building stuff. Because uh, really, you just cashed in commodities and goods, not so much to erect property, but to buy it. There were just different kinds of currency then, maybe? I felt like I was shopping for everything. The commodities, the railroads, the buildings. I loved the look of this game. I think the art style was amazing, particularly animal portrait i think they stole the show they're so good yeah they look so cute in those little <laughs> top dog and uh, the fat cat i i, I want them all <laughs> gotta collect them all even the bear was kind of cute bears yeah. can be cute bears are cute it was very charming seeing all the rail barons i'm gonna call them rail barons <laughs> I like that. Each railroad was represented not so much by a railroad or a train, but by an animal. In a portrait form. The towns were all so pastoral. It, they looked like covers of Jane Austen novel reprints. I could have had a little more variety in the look of the towns, but the railroads almost made up for it. So I, yeah. you keep talking about the railroads, but I like this is another game I didn't get the chance to play, but like... I didn't see any kind of representation of like the traveling between places and stuff. How did that work? Uh, there was no traveling like that. No tracks, nope. really, right? Nope. <laughs> you just buy a railroad card, it's just a card you have. Oh, you okay. buy a town, it's a town you have. And you happen to have both a railroad and a town. Bonus point! Cha-ching! That's right. Your railroad's more valuable if you've got a town on the route. Yeah. That's cool. So it's not 18xx enough for Ed to just destroy everybody in then, right? It is not an 18xx game. <laughs> you guys <Yeah>. are lucky. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and no, Ed did not win this one. I, I believe I won this one. Nice. Uh, by a narrow margin. By a couple bucks. You're mm -hmm. a good shopper. Shopping was a big part of the game. Yeah. <laughs> you play production cards, which got you goods. And they also told you which good got more valuable which may or may not be the same goods you just produced. And then later, as a different action, you can sell goods if you want to, but uh, it lowers the cost of the goods. So you might be trashing the price of something by dumping it on the market. Right. And then all the while, you've got little special abilities that give you bonuses to buying and selling things. Mm. And you can buy, each building gives you a special ability within the stock market. 
usually. So it's like, mm-hmm. I get this building that now lets my coal be worth more than everybody else's coal. So when mm-hmm. I sell it, it's more valuable and stuff like that. I agree the economic part of this game is really simple and easy to follow. You only have a few different actions you can produce, which is basically get goods and increase the cost of stuff. Or sell goods, which is sell your stuff and get money. Or buy a building. Or trading some stuff to buy a town. Hmm. Or auction off a railroad. Joe, what was your favorite part of the game? What did you enjoy most? I liked following the commodities up and down. Stock market stuff. I could see you were really tuned into that. So much so that I think it actually cost you the game. Because <laughs> you got so focused on the way things were increasing. Like how you could control the price of wine. Yeah. I was like, man, you got to stop worrying about that wine and just cash in all that wood you have (laughs) because you were just sitting on this money while Ed is over there, like gaining building after building and making rail combinations and everything. It was funny for me because I'm looking between these two guys, very different strategies. All right. Yeah. I should have stuck with the money strategy. It's very cool if you can keep your money private because there is bids for the railroads. You don't Ah. just get to buy them. You have to bid for them. So that means that in order to, to get the, in order to get the railroad, you have to first open the bid and then let everybody else do their thing. And, and uh, if you don't win, like let's say you put it up for auction, that's your whole action, putting a railroad up for auction. But if you don't win the auction, you get another turn. Oh, okay. You get to go again. You're not feeding somebody else your turn. <laughs> That's good. So in that way, it's it's okay. Except Ed had this vicious little combo <laughs> where he was able to get. Oh yeah. Like every time he put a railroad up for auction, he got five bucks. Yeah, I had the auction house building. So every time I did an auction, I got five bucks, whether it I won or not. Sick combination. Yeah. That's awesome. So you were just opening up auctions left and right. I put this one up. Yes, uh, I, know, I know Joe wants this beer. How much do you want this beer for? Yeah. All right, how about five bucks? Oh, six, yeah, sold. All right, how about this uh, sly fox? Everybody likes the sly fox. It's so sly. <laughs> and it really speeds up the game, too, because mm-hmm. yeah. once you're out of railroads, the game's over. Were all the railroad names two word names where each of the words were three letters long exactly? Using top um, dog, fat cat, sly fox. What about bear? Bear can't be oh, three yeah. letters. And there's big. We bear. call them burr. Yeah. B B R R. Yeah, burr. B apostrophe A R. Yeah, what is big burr. <laughs> yeah. I like that this game did not overstay its welcome. It was just the right length. Yeah. How long did you guys play for? Uh, how long did we play for? Or yeah. How long is the game supposed to be? That's always two, two separate questions. Things. Yeah. <laughs> um. Even. We did take a lot longer than the the minutes that it says the game is, which is normal mm-hmm. for us. Yeah, um, But I still didn't think it overstayed its welcome. That's cool. So I didn't feel like I was waiting too long for my turns or anything like that. Yeah, the turns are pretty short. Yeah, one action. Your choice of five different things to do for one action. Wow, that's great. And especially with like building games or worker placement games, they can go on a long time if you have too many decisions. But sounds like you didn't get bogged down with anything like that. No, there isn't like Mike is going to do this and then he's going to do this. And then Ugh. because he's got these three cards, he gets to do that. And Chains. then this cool combo triggers and none of that. It didn't make it overly simplistic. It just made it a good pace. It does get a little extra complexity with the building giving you 
special abilities. So if you got a lot of buildings, you got a bunch of different abilities to keep track of. That might be something I would go for if I played. I played the, the building strategy. Because yeah. every building is a victory point. And you yeah. only got three sources of victory points. There's building, there's the town, and the railroad. And the game rewards you for getting peers of towns and railroads. So I think everybody's going to want to get all of that stuff. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Raccoon Tycoon. Joe, how about you? I had a lot of fun playing this game, so I'm uh, digging it up. And like the CEO of Top Dog Railroad told me last week over Prime Rib and Whiskey Sours, it's all about laying down those railroad tracks. <laughs> Ed? Raccoon Tycoon offers mechanics that are really easy to pick up, but there's enough market manipulation like Joe dumping all that wood on the market when I was getting ready to sell. <laughs> it gives you a little bit of plan and a little angst. And I generally prefer a little bit more meat in my economic games, but this one just had just a little enough if you want a lighter game. So I'll dig this up for the next auction. Yeah, the aesthetic of this game made it the most enjoyable of this type of game that I have played so far. Uh, so definitely, definitely dig it up. And as you guys know, Ed is a lover of almost all train games, but I want to know which one is your favorite train game. So let us know in the comments. Yep. Head us up on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Thanks so much, guys. Let's talk about Claim It. Designed by Chris Gould, published by Watzelpog Games in 2006, number of players 2 to 5, ages 8 and up, playtime 40 minutes. Okay, Mike, tell us what's in the box. All right. The cover of this box shows the archetype of a grizzled and somewhat disappointed prospector circa 1855, sitting in the dirt, without a single shiny nugget in his pan. <laughs> Behind him are several shady-looking characters anxiously waiting to pounce and jump his claim. Inside the box, there's a board, three six-sided dice, 120 colored player markers, six squatter markers, and 30 claim markers. And that's what's in the box. Well, <laughs> before we tell you if this game is fool's gold or the real deal, Joe. Tell us how it's played. In Claim It, the year is 1855. You are a miner staking your claim and defending your territory from opponents. The board is a numbered grid of territories. On your turn, roll the three dice. You must assign one die number to a column on the grid, one to a row, and the third to a marker that you will place in a territory on the board. You will place either a white squatter marker, or if you already have a squatter marker in that territory, you will place a black claim marker. For the rest of the game, the claim is yours and no one can steal it. This is a push-your-luck game. You keep rolling as long as you like, attempting to grab as many territories and claims as possible. But watch out. If you roll and cannot place any markers on the grid with the numbers you rolled, then you are out and all your squatters placed this turn are lost. At the end of the game, the person with the most connected territories, with either color marker, is the winner. Yeehaw! We played this game on yukata.de. How'd you guys like the play? Yeah, it was great. The rules locking helped a lot because it only had so many options. 
And how was our favorite finicky interface? This game didn't have too much complexity to it, so it didn't really hurt us too much to have it played on Yukata. Yeah. It wasn't difficult to figure out how to do it. Once we figured out that you needed to place your dice on the column or row on the side of the grid, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was all downhill <laughs> from there. But at least it moved pieces. Like once you clicked the two dice, it moved the marker there for you instead of you having to find out where it should go. But I wish it had actually showed you the available spaces that you could go to before you started placing stuff. There are only a limited amount of places you can go, right? Yeah, sometimes more limited than you think. Yes. <laughs> like yes. Celeste and I had a problem uh, getting on the board. First round, my second roll, oh, I busted. I could, I did. There was no place that I could put the marker down. And same thing happened to Celeste. So Ed kind of basically got a free turn. Right, which is statistically oh. bananas. Insane. <laughs> the board was empty. That's why pushing your luck in this game is so seductive. You're just like, oh man, there's, I've got so many chances to place on this grid. There's so many numbers on this grid. I've got to be able to come up with something on three dice, right? Yeah, you got it. You got this, Ed. Roll Uh, it. (laughs) (laughs) He locked something. That's good. (laughs) Plus it plays into your greed. Yeah, it plays right into my greed. Absolutely. (laughs) The, uh, it's because it's a grid, right? So you've, You've got three dice and the markers go away as you place them. That's where you're pressing your luck happens. Like you get markers one through six, right? If you use them one marker, then the one is gone until you close that one out and then you can get your marker back again. So what did you guys think of the whole idea of rolling three dice, using two of them to zero in on a space in a grid and the third die is used as the actual number of the marker? What did you think of the strategy here well it plays a little bit to okay i, I want to try to get into this quadrant so you're trying to use like i want to use high number dice so i can get into the upper right mm-hmm. and so let me use the two highest number dice in order to get my column and my row and whatever else i get it'll be the marker yeah because you don't get any points if your markers aren't touching each other and orthogonally by the way celeste not, right, diagonally, not diagonally, which you told yes. me. <laughs> yeah. That really messed me up. <laughs> you can see our playthrough of this game. We actually did it on our for our Twitch channel. So mm-hmm. it's here on the YouTube as well if you want to see how badly I messed up telling the rules in the beginning. <laughs> so as to confuse Mike. <laughs> oh my God, I had this long diagonal string all laid out. I'm like, yeah, I'm getting points. And then I looked at my points. I'm like, that doesn't match how many are touching each other. It says I have two points right now instead of eight. Right. And I also messed Ed up on counting when the game would end. Because I said, when any, right. whenever you have nine uh, spots taken on the board, but it's not nine territories controlled on the board. It's nine black markered territories controlled yep. on the board, which means you had to roll those spaces twice. Yeah, right. down spaces, marker. right. So, so that was fun. <laughs> and when you start locking down spaces, it really starts narrowing what the legal roles they're going to have. They're going to start busting a little more often. But like, I find myself pressing my luck even more when, <laughs> when the, my back was against the wall and more spaces were taken up and actually being more successful somehow, even though there was odds were more against me at that point. That's where I would have appreciated that rules lock addition of showing me the actual spots I could go to. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess is the assumption, the reason they didn't do it is the assumption that you could mess yourself up. Part of the game is figuring out where you can go. 
I mean, I think that is part of it. Otherwise, just showed you what your location is and just roll, click, go. I mean, it makes it for a fast game, but maybe you don't get as into it. Because imagine if you were playing the physical version. You would have to roll the dice, figure out all this stuff, actually put the markers there, mm-hmm. and then realize, oh, wait a minute, I can't use that marker. It, it, like Part of it would be, like you didn't realize you gone bust until like a few minutes of calculating <laughs> true but here you roll the dice it's all oh, you busted and, and it's on to the next player before you can even moan and cry about it <laughs> right i think that's a good thing though it like speed the game up and you play a second time if you get crushed mm-hmm. joe do you think that it was too tempting to push your luck yeah i could play this game all day the game's a ton of fun when you roll the dice and lay down your numbers and <laughs> Choose which rows and columns you think are going to heat up. It's too much fun not to do it. It's hard to stop pressing your luck, especially yeah. for me. I'm so greedy. Especially if you, especially if you're having a run. Yeah, exactly. Everything's like, yes, another yeah. one in my space, because you have to connect the spots. So if you're getting a lot of the numbers that you want, so everything is connected well, yeah. then you're like, oh man, if I just got that one, I would have a controlling portion, and yeah. I definitely win. I can't stop now. <laughs> But I mean, because of that swing, you know, the, the turn can really turn on you. You're like, yes. oh, my turn's over. I got eight points. Celeste takes her turn, just rolls those dice, and bam, I have two points now. Mm-hmm. It's just that fast. <laughs> eight to two. Yeah. Because you can lose all the spots that don't have black markers on them. It is brutal. You could be way ahead, and then next time it's your turn, way behind. Yeah. That's why it's nice to try to lock them down when they can. Mm-hmm. I got a couple lockdowns. I'm going to end it now so I can lock those lockdowns in. Yeah, because if you keep pressing your luck, those lockdowns are not locked. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah, I think I lost five in one turn. You once. got crushed one turn. It was. I felt bad for you. You were my opponent, and I still felt really bad for you. It was ugly. <laughs> I had fun. Don't feel bad. <laughs> That's true. It was good. So what did you guys think of the limited strategy here? Was it enough? I mean, it depends on what you roll, unfortunately. It's like one of those push your luck and hope for the best game, but strategy-wise, like if your options are this awesome location or this other location that's not useful, mm-hmm. you're going to take the, the, the good location. There's not much really a decision to make. It's what the dice gave you. Mm-hmm. Uh, believe it or not, we actually played a extended version of the game. We played what? a rules variant. Oh, because okay. in the original game... You don't get the white markers, meaning the territory markers, back when you lock in a black marker. They stay there for the rest of the turn. So the variant we played, you actually get your white marker back, and therefore it gives you more chances to keep rolling. Wow. So if you're lucky enough, you could just keep rolling and keep rolling if you keep locking spot down. Like if you roll the same thing twice in a row, you get that marker back, and then you can roll the same thing twice in a row. Yeah, it makes for longer turns. That's the one we played. Push your luck more. Yeah, you can push your luck more. <laughs> there was one time I was going to stop, and when we were playing on Twitch, one of the watchers was like, roll, roll, roll. Oh, that's right. And she totally saved me. She helped me win the game because oh, yeah. I was going to stop. I was going to chicken out. Mm-hmm. But that one push made all the difference. It did. Yeah, I hope she knows she won you the game. She really did. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So, yes, this game could be a lot of fun in that way at a party, like a craps table. Yeah, very much like a craps table. <laughs> I mean, to me, that kind of leads into the point I wanted to make about the actual theme of this game, because it could have been a craps table. It could have been any 
unmarked, unthemed game, and I would have had just as much fun. I didn't really feel that I was jumping somebody's claim. I just felt like I was taking their spot. I definitely had more fun because the theme was there. But yeah, it did not exactly inform play. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. The only thing that informed play for me was the fact that I could keep pressing my luck. That was it. That's all I needed to know. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury, claim it. What say you, Mike? (laughs) I think it went on a little bit too long. But I mean, the excitement of being able to press my luck kind of overrode that a little bit. So I'd say dig it up just for the excitement factor. Joe? Oh, I could not stop playing this game. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I think we needed to do the dishes and you just wouldn't stop playing. Uh, Yeah, I felt like I was at a crowded craps table. It was just too much fun. So I can only assume Joe dug it up, right? Is that where it is? Absolutely. Okay. (laughs) Ed? It is fun to roll dice and press your luck particularly when you get the mess other people turns up. I'll play this game again if someone brought this game to the table, but I didn't think there was really enough there to claim this game for my own collection. So I'll begrudgingly bury it. <laughs> How dare you? You've offended Celeste deeply. <sighs> I think Can't Stop is a better game of this type Ooh, to me. I don't think so. <laughs> we, let's fight about it. Move along, you varmint. <laughs> this game was delightful, and I do recommend playing it on yukata.de. It was actually really fun there. It's a great spot to learn this game. However, I would also get this game, uh, a copy of it physically for my kids, because I know they would love playing this game and stealing each other's territories and all that. So I am definitely digging this one up. We definitely want to know what you think about Claim It. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you have done. And if you would like more perks and content from our show, including our exclusive patron-only audio podcast, Bonus Points! <laughs> Then just go to our website and click on become a supporter today. And please, if you get a chance, give us a like, a rating, a review, a shout out. Definitely please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Anything, anywhere, mention us down at the dog shop, the pet, the grooming store, whatever, wherever you go, the laundromat. It really helps others find the show. It helps us grow. And thanks so much for watching and listening, guys. You kids get off my lawn. Forgive me, sir. It was a moment's madness. There's gold in them hills. I know it.